Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. Well, good morning. Speaking of giraffes and elephants and lions and stuff, we're going to talk about Isaiah. Oh, it worked for Mira. Come on. It was a good, it was a good segue for her. Huh? I don't know. All right, fine. Well, here's Isaiah. We're going to talk about Isaiah today. We're going to carry on with the Jesus trip. And uh, we're going to do the whole book, which is going to be remarkable. It's going to be fantastic. Pastor Carl somehow last week managed to pull off it was like 150 chapters of Psalms in one week. So we'll, we'll have it go at Isaiah. We'll do uh, those 66 books today. But they say when you do a, a presentation like this, a, a sermon or something, visual aids are key. So I, uh, I found a picture of Isaiah. He's, uh, he was depicted here as an old guy. He, uh, you know, Hebrews 11, verse uh, 37, it talks about these prophets who were sawn in half. Uh, church tradition, Hebrew tradition says that's actually Isaiah. That was the guy. He, uh, he ended his life by getting cut in two. So that's not very good. He, uh, <laughs> he, he looks kind of old there. And I got to say, I was going to, uh, I had a joke too, because I thought I'd start with a joke. But uh, it, was, it was a white-haired joke, and I didn't know if it would work. And my kids were like, like my Grace, she just does this right now. Because she's like, oh, you're going to embarrass me so bad. So uh, we'll skip that one, because I'd like to be invited to Rama sometime <laughs> again. But uh, just, just, it's got nothing to do with Isaiah. But <laughs> these are so funny. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who laughs at his own jokes. So there's two windmills on a, on a wind farm, and uh, one asks the other, hey, what's your favorite kind of music? And the, uh, and the other one says, I'm a big metal fan. <laughs> That's good, right? Oh, all right, all right. All right, one more, one more. What is... <laughs> yeah, this is too funny. What is Forrest Gump's email? One forest, one. <laughs> That's good. That's okay. The last one. There's only two types of people in this world. Actually, there's three. There's those who can count and those who can't. All right. All right. Sermon. Isaiah. All right. I'm getting the hook. I'm getting ripped off stage here. Isaiah. Okay. Isaiah is an old guy. He had a big, long prophetic career. His writings, they span a whole bunch of time, a whole bunch of uh, uh, activity really going on in the world. He, he had a lot to say about current events of his day. He had a lot to say about what was going on in the 700, 600 BC. Uh, just a lot going on. He, uh, he, his, his prophetic career, it spanned the reign of multiple kings. So he had a lot to say. Actually, in the chronological Bible, we actually started reading about, I'm a little bit worried about Henry, because he started reading about Isaiah, but we actually started with him in June 22nd, and we're going to end up with him in July 28th. <laughs> no worries, Henry, I'm just joking. So there's like literally over a month of Isaiah, because he just had so much to say. So it's good stuff. Um, he... Uh, 
He, I think that Hosea, next to David, perhaps, out of all the things in the Old Testament, out of all the writings, all the books, he gives us one of the most amazing pictures of Jesus. Now, that for me is really remarkable when you look at the fact that there's 66 books that this guy wrote. He wrote about all sorts of subjects, all sorts of time frames, all sorts of things, but he gives us this beautifully clear picture of, of, of who Jesus is. Now, there's a lot of debate about this book. If you divide it in half, you can see that the first half of the book, chapter 1 to 39, a lot of people say, well, that's the book of judgment because it has a lot to do with what God's going to do to the nations. And then chapter 40 to 66, it's all a little, it's a little bit more hopeful, a little bit more happy. Lots of different things. Between chapters 13 and 23, there's literally words that he gives for 13 different nations and places just in those 10 chapters. Um, lots and lots and lots of stuff that he's saying. But it's important when you read a book like Isaiah, because one of the things I'm finding really, really helpful about the Jesus trip is not just finding Jesus in the Bible, but I actually feel like I'm being equipped in, in greater and greater ways to actually read the Bible for myself. I'm looking for Jesus on purpose, but one of the things we want to do is, is kind of uh, make it something that's living for us, not just here on a Sunday morning, but every day of the week. So one of the things that uh, is really important to note about books like Isaiah is because they cover so much subject matter, uh, you can, it can actually kind of be a little bit dangerous and a little bit damaging if you just kind of open it up and say, that's my verse right there. Stick your finger in the Bible and say, that's for me. You know, so, so here's an example, Isaiah chapter 30. Here's one. I think it's coming. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 14 and 15. Like, nobody has this verse up on your fridge, right? If you do, and you quote this one to yourself every day, you need to make an appointment to see Pastor Carl. You will be smashed like a piece of pottery, shattered so completely there won't be a piece big enough to carry coals from a fireplace or a little water from the well. Amen. I'm claiming that one, Jesus. Yes. No, there's a, you got to rightly divide the word of truth, right? We talked about this last summer when we, when we looked at First John, how the Bible, the whole thing's written for us, but some of it's not actually written to us. So uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the, the vision, this is how he introduces the book, the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. So there's a lot of things in there that are uh, relevant and current to uh, the, the happenings of his day. But in spite of all that, like I said, he gives us a, the most amazing picture of Jesus, which is what we really want to do when we read the Old Testament. I mean, there's a lot of, there's some history in there. There's, there's things you can learn about the Israelite people. But Jesus himself said in John 5.39 that those scriptures, you can look through the Hebrew Bible if you want to, but the whole point of it is to lead you to him. That's Jesus. That's, that's what he said. And this is what the earliest Christians did with the book of Isaiah as well. They, they took Jesus' advice and they said, okay, well, if you're going to say that this has to do with you, then we're going to say this has to do as, with you as well. And 66 times, this is not like, this is me just kind of quickly going through things, but 66 times you can find either quotes or direct reference, references in the New Testament to the book of Isaiah. See, the New Testament writers, the apostles, Jesus himself, they said, that book, the purpose of it, it actually finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And didn't Jesus do that too when he walked into his hometown and he went to the synagogue and he said, you know, give me the scroll, I'm going to open it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he says, hey, all this that I just read, he read it from Isaiah and said, this is about me. That's it, been fulfilled here today with me. So we're in good company when we try and find a way to see Jesus in the Bible, in Isaiah. 
And I want to propose to you, uh, we're, well, we're, first of all, we're going to try and get in the mind of Isaiah a little bit today, because how, how really do you do 66 books in one day? I, I, it's, it's almost impossible. But I want to I present you with uh, what I propose is the key to understanding everything that Isaiah wrote. And, uh, and it comes from an event that happened uh, at the beginning of his life, or at the beginning of his, his ministry, sorry. So uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, he has this experience, and the chronological Bible is really helpful because, you know, a normal Bible is chapter 6 is chapter 6. It's after chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Chronological Bible says, no, this probably happened first, so let's read about it on June 22nd, and then we'll fill in the blanks as we go along. So they say this is the first thing that happened in his life. And this is how Isaiah describes this experience that I think shaped and, and, and filtered through his ministry and his writings. So he describes the experience like this. He says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe had filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies, the whole earth filled with his glory. And their, vase, their voices shook the temple to its foundations. The entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's over. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live amongst the people with filthy lips. Yet, I've seen the king. I've seen the Lord of heaven's armies. So King Uzziah dies. Isaiah has this revelation, this visionary experience, which is awesome, right? Like, who wouldn't want to see that? But I think in the moment, sometimes we, we look at things in the Bible and you kind of take the humanity out of it because it's just kind of words on a text sometimes. But sometimes, let's try and get in his head a little bit. I think he's a little bit confuddled. I think he's a little bit like, what? How, how, how is this happening? I mean, he, he sees the Lord seated on the throne. He sees all the activity around the throne. He hears the holy, holy, holy. And he's painfully aware of his own sin. He's aware of the fact that he lives in a dirty culture. He's aware of all that, and he freaks out. I'm doomed. It's all over. Yet he's like, hold on a second. Yeah, I'm, I'm dirty, but I've seen the king. How's that work? See, he would have got brought up in that, in that uh, day and age where they would have been taught... Uh, you know, God can't have anything to do with anything unholy and unclean. So you can't look at the glory of God and still live. You, you got an unclean person, and he's clearly saying, I'm dirty. He's clearly aware of his sin. And he's like, how, how can I be here? I've seen the king. How does this work? This is blowing my mind. I don't get it. So he's in this kind of moment of what, what's happening? What is going on? And then immediately it says that there is a seraphim that flew to him. Verse 6 and 7, a seraphim flew with a burning coal he'd taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. Isaiah said, he touched my lips and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Who knows that a burning coal can't cleanse you from sin? Even if it's a heavenly one. Otherwise, we'd have a barbecue up here and we'd run around chasing people with charcoal, right? That doesn't work. It's a type and it's a shadow. When there's an altar in the, in the Bible, what does an altar always represent? It's the place of sacrifice. 
all the altars that you see in the Old Testament. That's why the, the, the false altar worship system of the, of the pagan religions around the Israelites was particularly grievous to God. There's one altar. It's the cross. There's one place where there is a sacrifice that's acceptable to God. So what, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Not a coal. Even in heaven. So Isaiah, he, he has this kind of symbolic experience. He has this encounter, and he's like, I, I still don't get it. I mean, but the Lord, high. He sees the Lord sitting high and lifted up. And that Lord has made a provision for him for his sin. At a time before Jesus, at a time where this prophet's operating under the law, and he's like, wow, this is amazing. The Lamb of God from times past has made provision for him. So I want to propose to you that as you read through Isaiah, as you read through some of the other prophetic books in the Bible, I, I think you really have to understand that a lot of the writing, it reflects Isaiah. It reflects the other prophets' attempts to kind of make sense of something that they didn't really clear, clearly grasp. And I hope you're okay with that. I hope it's okay to say that. I hope you're not like, what, what, are you, what, what are you trying to say? Isaiah, he wrote the Bible and he didn't really know exactly what he was talking about? I hope that's okay, because Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He said, this salvation that the prophets like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, the salvation that they were talking about, that, that, we're in, that we now have and enjoy, these prophets, they wanted to know more about it when they prophesied. They didn't see the whole thing. They didn't get the whole picture. This is why I love what Stephen was saying today. You know, we see God. We know him. We see him. He's here. He's present. Jesus Christ has been revealed. God has been made known in the person of Jesus. People like Isaiah, they're looking ahead, and they're trying to make sense of it. But we got the real deal, and we know. We know who God is in Jesus. They wondered. They wondered. They got a revelation, and they're like, I, I, I just I can't see it all the way. It's a little bit hazy still. I don't quite get it. And you have to know that, that when you're reading the Old Testament, that is the experience of the prophets. They're, 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 what they're getting is absolutely reliable. It's trustworthy. It's Holy Spirit stuff. But they don't understand. In fact, they were even told, according to Peter, if we trust him, Peter says that the prophets themselves were actually told, this message is not for you. You're not going to get it. It's not for you. It's for someone else. It's for us. It's for us on this side of the cross. See, these prophets, like Isaiah, they saw through a glass darkly. They saw glimpses, but they didn't actually see the whole thing, and they didn't make sense of it. And I think one of the things that really rocked Isaiah to the core, the, 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 the impact of this vision, what affected him and affected his life so deeply, and his ministry and his prophecy so deeply, is I think that when he saw the Lord, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, I think what he saw surprised him. I think it shocked him. Now, you know, you see God sitting on the throne, you're probably going to be, you know, that's probably going to rock you a little bit. But I think above and beyond the initial shock of, wow, I just saw God. I think his, all of his expectations were completely shattered. I think that when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, when he saw the glory of God that filled the temple, when he saw the Lord of glory, I don't think he saw a king like King Uzziah. I think he saw the Lamb. I think he saw the Lamb of God, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world who made a provision already for his sins. The, the coal could come off the altar. Revelation 5, 6, it says, I looked and I beheld in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders, in the middle of the throne. See, the throne's not just a chair. It's like there's something going on there. But in the middle of the throne is the Lamb. 
the Lamb of God is in the middle of the throne. You can read about it in Ezekiel, in Daniel, in, in all these kind of visionary experiences. There's something objective about seeing the throne of God. The throne of God is the throne of God, right? You go, to, you, go to, you go to Paris, you see the Eiffel Tower. You can go there from China. You can go there from Japan. You can go there from Mexico. You can go there from Canada, and you're going to see the same thing because the same thing is the same thing. And what these people see when they see the throne of God is they see a lamb in the middle. There's a lamb at the middle in the midst of all the, all the stuff. Revelation chapter 17 and 14, it says, Together they'll go to make war against the lamb. Somebody's trying to war the lamb, but the lamb will defeat them. Why? Because the lamb, he is Lord of lords and he is king of kings. It's not the lion that's Lord of lords and king of kings. It's the lamb. The lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. So Isaiah sees this king. He has this visionary experience. He sees the king, and it's not what he expected. When Uzziah died, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the king. I saw the Lord. When Uzziah died, with Uzziah's death, so died Isaiah's expectations of what a king would look like. With Uzziah's death, so died the expectations. And I don't want you to get kind of hung up on this and get too introspective, but what if sometimes our Uzziah has to die before we're actually able to see the Lord for who and what he is? Our expectations, our preconceived ideas of what we think God looks like and what we think he should do, how his activity is going to happen in our lives. What if sometimes those preconceived ideas, those hopes, those old authority structures, what if sometimes those have to die before we can see him for who he really is? Just a thought. But I think he struggled. I think he saw the king. He saw the king high and lifted up in contrast to the king that just died. And he was like, what? I mean, I see the glory, but this is, this is not what I expected to see a king. He sees the lamb upon the throne. And I think he's confused. And I think he's a little bit confused because of this. He's seen this. But at the same time, just like in his vision, Isaiah chapter 1, as Henry said, is so rich. There's so much in there. He knows, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, God says, the children I raised and cared for, they've rebelled against me. Isaiah knows that the people, the, the people of God have rebelled against him. He knows that they're in a really bad spot. He sees the devastation that their sin and rebellion has caused. He prophesies, he says in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, your country lies in ruins and your towns are burned. Foreigners plunder your fields before your eyes and destroy everything they see. Exact opposite of the promised land. So he, he's, he, he's seeing how bad it is. He's certain God's people are in a bad spot. He's certain that they've rebelled against God. And then on top of it, he's, this religious guy who's, who's been brought up in, you know, in the Jewish family, Jewish context, Jewish culture, he then, then he hears God say this to him. Henry already quoted it. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. He's, God says this to the guy who's, who knows that he's sinful, to the people who are sinful. He says this. God says, what makes you think that I want all your sacrifices? This is the NLT instead of the message. I'm sick of your burnt offerings, your rams and the fat of fattened calf. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to me, when you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath, and get this one, your special days of fasting, they're sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations, your annual festivals. They're a burden to me. I cannot stand them. Wow. 
That's the prophet of God who's been brought up in, in the, you know, the Hebrew tradition and religion. And God himself is saying that to Isaiah. Bit of a head scratcher. He sees how wicked they are. He knows that he's sinful. He knows his people's sinful. The king who he thought might be able to do something, he died. And now God's saying, actually, the religion that you thought would actually take you to, to where I want you to be, that land of blessing, the religion that you've been doing that, that you think is going to help you, I actually hate it. What's left? You know, you, 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 you can see why. He's probably got a little bit of cognitive dissonance going on. And then on top of all of that, as if that's not enough, he's seeing what's wrong. He's totally confuddled about how to get it right. But he's seeing this amazing picture of restoration. He's seeing something beautiful. Imagine the dissonance going on in his head. Wow, it's so bad. This isn't going to fix it. But this is where God's going to take us? What? How could that possibly be? Just how could that be? But who knows, if God's the one who shows you something that's wrong, I think this is a general life principle too. If God's the one who's going to show you something that's wrong, and it's not a critical or a judgmental spirit that's pointing something out to you, if God's showing you something that's wrong, that revelation, it's going to come wrapped in hope and empowered with a positive vision of what it can be. It's always going to be empowered. He's not going to leave you in a bad place. He doesn't leave Isaiah in a bad place. So Isaiah starts to see amazing things. He sees this. He sees in the last days the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all. At the bottom there, it says nation will no longer fight against nation. Isaiah sees. Wow, sinful people, sinful nation. Wow, we're so messed up. The king's not going to get us there. Religion's not going to get us there. But I can see a day when the church, God's people, we're going to be the most influential people on planet Earth. He says, I see a day when there's going to be no more war. Wow, what a beautiful vision. He sees a day when the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. Isaiah 11, the leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The cow will graze with the bear. The lion, the lion will eat hay like a cow. I mean, what kind of day is that going to be? That's a day of absolute restoration where even the natural order, the natural, natural instincts of animals is going to be changed. There's going to be no violence. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters cover the sea, the knowledge of the glory will fill the earth. That's a beautiful vision. That's something we're all really excited about. He sees a time where the people of God are going to arise. Their light's going to be seen by all. The glory of the Lord is going to arise and appear upon us. He sees that day. And you know what's actually funny? I was thinking about this during worship. I don't think when he saw that day, I don't think he was foreshadowing uh, and talking about revivals in the future. I thought he saw a day where the glory of God would appear and arise upon a people. I think the day he saw was Pentecost. The day he saw was normal Christianity when the Spirit of God would be inside of people. What a day that he saw. We take this as our, as our text for revival. I think Isaiah took this as his text. I see a day when the Spirit of God is going to live in a people. That's going to be normal. Wow. The glory of God in a people. The glory that I just had an amazing experience with and I saw and I didn't understand. That glory is going to be inside people and all they have to do is say yes to Jesus. Wow. That's, that's the day he saw. He saw a time when the people are going to be called holy people. These messed up people that he lives with. They're going to be called the redeemed of the Lord. Jerusalem will be a place called the desirable place and a city no longer forsaken. So he sees this amazing, flourishing future. But put yourself in his shoes for a minute. You've been brought up in this tradition. You've been brought up in this culture with this religious teaching. And then you've heard God say, I'm not interested in your religion. Your king, who you had so much hope in, he just died. Yet nevertheless, 
It's like he's got this beautiful picture and the rug's been taken out from underneath him. But nevertheless, he saw a day in Isaiah 9-1 where this time of darkness and despair would not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, that land will be filled with glory. Isaiah sees a good future. It's shrouded. It's shrouded, but he starts to see. So in his, in his writings, as you're reading through the book of Isaiah, you're going to see that he starts, he has this, this, these conflicts at the beginning of his life, at the beginning of his ministry. And as his writings go on, as the book goes on, as his prophetic career goes on, he starts to get better pictures. He starts to get a more clearer picture of how this is going to happen. He starts to see things. He progressively starts to see it. So he sees, in, in Isaiah 9-2, he sees that the people who walk in darkness, they will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. So he's starting to see, wow, there's going to be a light that comes. Awesome. And, he, and he's this prophetic guy on this, on this journey. Sometimes, you know, when you, when you think about the Bible and we work our way through, we see the finished product. And we just kind of read it, you know, the 66 pages, you see the black and white on the page, and it's just like, well, of course it's that way. That's the way it's always been. Or, or, or we, we see the, the, the final picture. And, and, you know, Isaiah, for example, it wasn't a book that was, he just kind of sat down at his typewriter and God gave him a download. Like, there, there's a whole bunch of different stuff going on in the book of Isaiah. It's not just one vision. It's, uh, it's a compilation. Actually, a lot of it's poetry. Actually, it's kind of funny, eh? Some of the doom and gloom and the you're going to die and these guys are going to get these guys, those are actually poems. It's kind of weird. It takes the edge off it a little bit. Right? Kind of flowery and stuff. But Isaiah, so he's, it's a very human process. This is a human being engaged with Almighty God. The Spirit of God is, is, is speaking to him and speaking through him. And he's on this journey of discovery, and he's starting to see, and in his writings, it's getting clearer and clearer. He sees, okay, there's going to be a light that comes. And then, then it gets a little bit picture. He's like, wow, okay, that light, Isaiah 9, 6 to 7, that light's actually going to be a child. Wow, it's not going to be a light from the sky. No, a child is going to be born to us. Unto us, a son is going to be given. The government's going to rest on his shoulders. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, this is what you're going to call him, everlasting father, prince of peace. This light that's going to come, his government and its peace, it'll never end. He, not Uzziah, not Hezekiah, not any other king, he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. He saw Jesus. I mean, we know that. We sing songs about that at Christmas. He didn't know that. But us looking back, we get to say, wow, he was talking about Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? He saw the king. Matthew said as much too. Listen to this. Matthew 4, verse 12 to 17. He, Jesus, went first to Nazareth, and then he left there and moved to Capernaum behind, beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Isaiah saw the great light. Matthew said, hey, that light came. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So Isaiah is struggling to see what this means. He's got a picture of the restoration that's coming. He's catching glimpses of it, but now he's actually not just starting to catch glimpses of the restoration, but of the restorer. He's starting to see that there's a king coming, and it's starting to seep into his writings. But see, what he was prophesying and what he was talking about, it was so different to what the people at his day were, were expecting. 
it was so different to what he was expecting. In fact, God even said to Isaiah, one of the outcomes of your ministry, one of the things that's going to happen through the proclamation of your message is this. People are going to listen carefully, but they're not going to understand. They're going to watch closely, and they're going to learn nothing. You're going to harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, they'll not hear with their ears, nor understand with their heart, and turn to me for healing. So the lens you see through and the filter you hear through are so important. Jesus said, be careful how you hear. You really do. you got to be careful. See, it's not that God didn't want to heal them. He just didn't want them to come to him for healing with the expectations and the beliefs that they currently had, as if their new moon celebrations and their laws and their sacrifices was going to fix them. God didn't want them to come to him anymore with those expectations. He had something totally new and something new in store for them. So he says to Isaiah, your ministry is actually, it's going to stink. You know, you're, whatever your barometer for success is, uh, you think you're going to make people see, but I'm actually telling you, you're going to make them not see. You think they're going to accept you. No, nope. I don't know if he told them ahead of time that he was going to get cut, cut in two, but not cool. I mean, he's so enthusiastic at the beginning. Here I am, send me. Oh, oh, hold on. They're not going to listen? What? I'm done. No, he, he plows on and he keeps going. But the lens that you have, how you hear, it's really, really important. See, they wouldn't be able to hear his words if it wasn't filtered through that right lens. And that's the point. Even if you hear the gospel, you can't get it through your own, own lens. You can't understand the message if you look at it from a legalistic, law-based, punishment and judgment, carrots and sticks, legalistic, naturalistic, nationalistic way. If you're looking for something like that in the gospel, you're not going to understand it because that's not what it's about. So the people, they're, they're having Jesus revealed to them through Isaiah the prophet, and they don't get it. They won't see him if they interpret what Isaiah is saying through the, long, the wrong lens. And the thing was, was the thing that Isaiah was preaching, what he saw, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, it wasn't something that was anything like any of them had ever seen or expected before. It totally blew Isaiah's mind, and it blew their mind too. He didn't see a king who would execute judgment and vengeance on those who oppose him. So I see Isaiah seeing this, hearing about the goodness of the king, and, and, and he himself just can't quite grasp it. So he describes this amazing ministry of this king who's going to come, and, and he sees some of the awesome things that Jesus is going to do. And he says things like in, in Isaiah 61, verse 1, he says, the Spirit of the Lord's going to be upon this guy, and he's going to bring good news to the poor. He's going to comfort the brokenhearted. He's going to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He's going to tell those that mourn the time of the Lord's favor has come. And Isaiah, he's like, he's a king like any other king, so of course, with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. That's all coming. And then Jesus actually comes. Jesus comes. He comes into his hometown. He takes the scroll, and he says, hey, I'm going to read from Isaiah. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm the one. I'm going to bring good news to the poor. I'm going to comfort the brokenhearted, proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. I'm telling those that mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then you know what he does? Rolls up the scroll and gives it back. He kind of corrected Isaiah a little bit. See, Isaiah saw through a glass darkly. He didn't see everything perfectly. So Jesus says, you know what? We're going to stop there. 
rolls up the scroll, puts it back, and says, today, all of that stuff is fulfilled in your midst. Not the, not the vengeance part, not the anger against enemies, not that part. So when you're reading that kind of thing in the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah, those kind of prophetic books that you're just like, wow, this sounds really doom and gloom. So a lot of people are going to get it. Jesus, when he quoted it, he actually stopped at that part and said, I've actually come to do something a little bit different. And I think it blew Isaiah's mind when he saw that. See, Jesus, God's king, he was coming in a way that the prophets of old, they couldn't really wrap their heads around it. He was a king, but get this, instead of, instead of coming with retribution and vengeance, he was a king who was coming as a servant to heal, to bless, to redeem, to restore. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Look at my servant, who my strength, and he is my chosen one who pleases me. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. Look at my servant. He sees the king high and lifted up. He can't believe his eyes. It's the lamb. And he's like, wow, that's not what a king should look like. Kings aren't servants. Kings are all about serve me. Not this one. Totally different. Over and over again in the book of Isaiah, God's savior, the branch, he's referred to as the servant. God's king. See, servant leadership, big deal. Very nature, very essence of who God is, is to serve you. That's crazy. We want to serve God. God wants to serve us. Mind blown. Didn't he say that to Peter? Hey, Peter. Peter's like, no, no, you can't serve me. Don't, don't wash me. He's too proud. He's like, God, I'm supposed to serve you. And Jesus is like, actually, you know what? If you don't let me wash you, you got no part with me. Isn't that powerful? King of kings, Lord of lords, God Almighty who sits on the throne and heaven and earth worship him. He wants to serve you. Wow. Incredible. This king, he would be a little bit different than every other king that he's ever seen before, that the world had ever seen before. This king, this servant king, he wouldn't yell, he wouldn't shout, and he wouldn't force his agenda on people. He was a different kind of king. Isaiah 42, Isaiah sees him and he says, wow, he's not going to shout. He's not going to raise his voice in public. He won't crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He'll bring justice to all who've been wronged. That's a different kind of king. That's not a king who's forcing himself on people, who's saying, submit to my right, my, my might and rule and power. He's not forcing himself. He's actually looking for the broken and the busted. He's not looking only for people who he thinks can help his cause. That's amazing. This king, God's king, the king that Isaiah saw, he wouldn't rise or fall on the wings of popular opinion. He wouldn't shift his position to gain favorability. God's king wasn't in it for himself. And he certainly wasn't a quitter. He was in it for everybody. He will not falter or lose heart, Isaiah saw, until justice prevails throughout the whole earth. If there's something wrong, if there's something unjust, the cross is the answer. And God will not falter or lose heart until the full manifestation and demonstration of what he bought and paid for is fully expressed in every situation. God has a passion and a zeal for justice like we can't even imagine or believe. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. He won't falter. He won't give up. He's going to go for it, and it's going to happen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this, he said. He said it. This king, he wouldn't come. He wouldn't come with a great pedigree from a great school or a great family background. In fact, this king, God's king, he came up out of nowhere. He just popped up. 
Isaiah 53, 2, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. We didn't see him, and then there he was. He was hidden underground. That's what the Apostle Paul kept saying, eh? The mystery kept hidden from ages past. People like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they're seeing something in the future. They're not really getting it. It was hidden. There was a mystery hidden, but now been made known, now revealed, Christ in you. So he comes up out of nowhere. There's nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. I'm not saying Jesus was an ugly dude, but he didn't walk around flashy and have a charismatic following based on, you know, some sort of fashion trend type thing. There was nothing about him that would attract us to him. Crazy. He was a king who didn't live a posh and a cozy lifestyle, out of touch with the pain and the suffering of people around him. He didn't stay in the palace and use all the, the advantages of royalty to insulate himself from life. No, he, our, this king, God's king, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He knew what it was like to be rejected. He knew what it was like to have people turn their back on him. It says we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. And on top of all this, God's king suffered the most ultimate, most humiliating of misunderstandings. When we saw him suffering on our behalf, the Bible tells us that what we did was we thought that it was his fault. And humanity and the people of his day said, you know what? You're suffering. You look like you're carrying sickness and disease. You're dying a criminal's death. It must be because God's punishing you because of your wickedness. That's, what, that's the kind of misunderstanding. Who hates being misunderstood? Who's got to always correct the record, you know? Somebody, somebody maybe says something about you that's not true and you just got to make it known. Jesus, the king of kings, he was able to swallow it and say, wow, you misunderstood me. You didn't really get me, but I'm going to love you anyways. I'm actually going to let you carry through your diabolical plan because it's going to bless you. Isn't that amazing? Wow. I'm like, somebody can say something sometimes and you just want to be like, not Jesus. See, Isaiah, he had trouble getting this. God's king, the people of the day didn't come or didn't get it. And the people certainly, when Jesus showed up on the scene, didn't get it. They didn't understand God's king. He wasn't coming to put heavy loads on us, to punish us, threaten us. He wasn't coming to tell us why we deserve to be sick, why we deserve to die, why we deserve to be broken. He didn't come to do any of that. What Isaiah saw when he saw the king high and lifted up, what shook him to the core is he saw a servant king. He saw a servant king who was coming, and instead of putting burdens on us, he was going to lift them off of us. Instead of inflicting us with sickness, he was going to bear that sickness in his own body. That now, not just hypothetically and in songs we can sing that we're healed, but we can actually be physically healed because he bore in his body those sicknesses, and he carried our infirmities. He was a king who was crushed so that we could be whole, who became sin so we could be holy, who gave his life in order to give us his life. He gave his life for us so he could give his life to us. See, God just doesn't want to upgrade your life. He wants to give you a totally new one. You died with him. You've been raised up together with him. And the quality of life that you now have is the very life of the Son of God himself infused into you. This kind of thing, these kind of things, these, this is not what kings usually do. Yeah, this is what God's king did. He didn't defend himself or his honor. It says he kept his mouth shut when he was falsely accused. He brought life where there was death, and he brought hope where there wasn't any. And God said, God says through Isaiah, that's my king. 
You might not recognize him. You might treat him horribly, but I'm telling you what, my will will prosper in his hand. Honor and glory await my king because of what he did. Many people will be blessed. That's the king that Isaiah saw. That's the king who heals, who forgives, who cleanses, washes, gives to us, and that rocked him to the core. When you see the king of kings, when you see him high and lifted up, when you're prepared to let your expectations go, wow. You see the Lamb of God on the throne, wow. You see, you see a God, you see a king, you see a power, you see authority that's unlike anything else in the natural world or anywhere else. You see who gives his life for us, doesn't take our lives, he gives us life. Wow. And Isaiah, he sees this, and, and I think he's a little bit confused, but, but when he saw God's king and when he heard heaven's mission, holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the earth filled with his glory, he threw himself wholeheartedly behind this mission. He said, yes, I'm all in. He's, I don't get it. How can I be here? I'm sinful, yet I've seen the king. I don't quite get the king I'm seeing, but wow, he's glorious. His mission is noble, and I'm all in. So Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. He then hears the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, Here I am, send me. What he saw rocked him to the core, and he's like, Don't quite understand. Don't quite get it. I'm gonna spend my life trying to get it. I'm gonna spend my life giving myself to the cause of this God who's revealed himself to me. And I'm in. Here I am, send me. See, he saw some things clearer than others. He saw a lot more than others did. He saw a message of a coming king that no one would get or understand until they saw him themselves by the Spirit. And you know what? We are those people. We're the people who, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we have had heaven's king revealed to us. We live on the other side of the cross. Maybe you haven't had the kind of vision that Isaiah had. But I'm telling you today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can see the Lamb of God. Right now, today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, He can speak to you in the deepest places of who you are. He can shatter every single false expectation or false idea that you have about Him. And He can reveal Himself to you for who He really is by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is here to make Him known. So I called this sermon, I've Seen the King, because Isaiah said, my eyes have seen the King. And my question today is, have you seen the king? Have you seen the king? I want to tell you a little bit about the king, but from Isaiah's own words. If you just close your eyes with me for a second. Just close your eyes. Just stay seated. Just close your eyes. Sometimes the Bible preaches the Bible better than anybody. And the Holy Spirit can use that word, all right? You ready? Listen to this. Listen to how Holy Spirit describes heaven's king. Let him speak to you. Let him show you Jesus Christ, the king high and lifted up, the lamb at the center of the throne. This is what Isaiah said. This is what he saw, and we know is Jesus. Isaiah said, who believes what we've seen and what we've heard? Who believes? Who would have thought that God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on. He was passed over. A man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him. We thought he was scum. 
But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our sicknesses, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. It was our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his stripes, we get healed. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing and gone our own way. And God piled on him the sins of everything we've done wrong on him. On him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered. And like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice was miscarried and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in the grave of a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul and never said a word that wasn't true. Still, this was God's plan all along. That plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. God's plan, God's plan will deeply prosper through him, through his king. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it was worth it, and he'll be glad. He'll be glad he did it. Through what my righteous servant, my righteous one, what he did, what he experienced, he will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I will reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest of honors, because he looked death in the face and he didn't flinch, because he embraced the company of the lowest. He took on his shoulders the sins of the many. He took up the cause of the black sheep. That's God's king. That's what Isaiah saw. That's a king unlike any other king. That's the Lamb of God. That's the God who's here right now to heal your body. Restore your soul and let everything that is part of who he is as a person be imparted into you to see the realm of his rule and reign imparted into you. That's what our king does. He doesn't hoard for himself. He doesn't take you and make you serve him. He serves you. He blesses you. He heals you. He makes you whole. And then how the glory gets back to him is because everybody looks at you and says, wow, you couldn't do that yourself. Only God could do that. That's our king.